0: Well, it's good to be back with you guys. I have a great affection for this crew. It uh, really does bless my heart to hear those words from Pastor Chris because it's uh, a great friendship that we've uh, stricken together and I feel like it's the same with you all as well. There's Just a great affection that I have for you. And so uh, it really leads into what I feel like God has been stirring on my heart for this time. I work with a church here in the city and we've been uh, having a conversation over the last few weeks about calling. We've been talking about what it means to know and understand and to live into our calling. And, you know, when you have this conversation, it stirs a lot inside of you. And there's, for some of us, anxiety that rises up when we start talking about our calling, the thing that we're supposed to do. What are we set out to do for God on earth? And that's a big question and it's a big idea and there's no question about that. And, you know, what's crazy about that, and I talked about it leading into this time, is as almost like a postscript to going through that series with our church, I thought a lot about this crew right here and the season of life that a lot of you find yourself in asking yourself this question, what is my calling? Uh, What am I supposed to do for God? And there's there's one question that comes to my mind that I know that many of us have asked before. I can't even count the number of times that I've asked this question. And the question is this, What is the will of God for my life? You ever asked this question before? All right, maybe you guys are super spiritual and you already know automatically. Well, I've asked this question of me before. What is the will of God for my life? And I can tell you that a lot of my young following of Jesus has been defined by the time that I've given over to asking this question. And the thing about this question, what is the will of God for my life, is it's really important, right? (laughs) Like we ask this question because we want to know what God desires for us. And the main reason for that is we want to know it and also We don't want to mess it up, right? Like once we figure out what the will of God is for our lives, we want to make sure that we do everything that we can to make sure that we honor that calling, honor that will of God and make sure we don't mess it up. But I got to tell you, for me asking that question for a lot of my Christian life and over and over again coming to this cyclical place where the question arises again, it comes to my lips again, and I'm trying to figure it out again, for me in my life, that question has produced a lot of anxiety. It's produced a lot of even guilt and shame at times because I feel like I'm not able to identify what this calling is with clarity and I got to tell you, I feel like in my digging into this question and wondering what this means for my life, I feel like I've come to a place where I've arrived at a solution. And the solution that I've come to is, I feel like I've been asking the wrong question the whole time. (laughs) I've been asking the question over and over again, as a Christian, what is the will of God for my life? And I felt like God through his spirit has reframed the whole conversation for me. Rather than starting with that question, I feel like God is introducing me to another one. He's saying you should ask, what is the will of God? Let's start there. And you know how embarrassing it is for me to hear this message from God and think about how often I've jumped to trying to discover what the will of God is for me on earth, and I'm not spending any time sitting in, resting in, digging into the will of God for humanity. And what I felt like God was saying to me is, in understanding my will for humanity, maybe you'll begin to start taking some steps toward the fulfillment that comes from that and the bursting forward that comes out of that. Because what is the will of God? Well, from the very beginning, we see that God created humanity with intention. We see him creating all these things with his words. He's speaking, and these things show up in existence. But we see with the human being, his most prized creation, God forms the man. And then it says that he breathed life into his nostrils. And do you know why he created humanity? You know, his first point of identification for human beings was not so that they would do things for him. It's so that they would be in communion with him. God made humanity to be in relationship with him forever and to be fulfilled by him solely. And we do see very soon after his creation, human beings get a job. They start working out of this communion. And what's beautiful is the order is very important. We understand that God created humanity to be in communion with him. And out of that communion, out of that connection with God, there is a flourishing. There's an advancing that comes not from the purposes of the human being to do things for God, but that human being has things birthed in his life that come from God. And when I reframe the question, what is the will of God? And I start to realize that God more than anything else, while I'm here on earth, desires connection and communion with me, it changes everything. Because now I'm ceasing to strive and strain to fulfill some unseen purpose to impress God or other people with the things that I can do to show him how much I love him. The thing that he desires from me is not a proving ground in my life to show him how much I love him. He wants to be in communion with me to experience and I experience from him how much we love one another. He's calling us into communion. And when we start talking about our calling, the thing that we need to start with is not where do we need to go, but who do I need to be with? It's from communion that this is true. There's a verse in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this verse kind of flies in the face of a lot of what I would say in my life I've thought about when it comes to calling and working for God. I'm always forward-charging and advancing, thinking about the next thing that I need to do for God. And it says in 1 Corinthians 7, don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. (laughs) See, in my life, I've gotten so caught up with this desire to be at this next place where God wants me to go. What is the thing that he wants me to do? What is the will of God for my life? And he is saying to me, there is communion with me right where you are. And if you can find fulfillment in that place where you are, there will be a bursting forward that you cannot help but watch unfold. So calling ceases for me to be a thing that defines my Christianity. Calling for me ceases to be a source of anxiety if I can't figure it out and find it out and do that thing right away. Calling for me begins to be this product of communion with God. And what he's calling us to as human beings is to find contentment in him. You know, it's amazing. Uh, We had this series that I was talking about and we called it Holy Discontent. And what's beautiful about that is I believe God has put that in every human being. There is something in your life as a result of your connection with God that you have identified in the world as a thing that just simply is not the way that it's supposed to be right? You look out at the world and you go, there is a holy discontent in my heart. There is something that I see that I know that by the way of Jesus, I am called to enter into. But do you know what I realized about this holy discontent idea? God started really challenging me because I love the idea of a holy discontent. And I believe that it's okay for us to have a holy discontent but it is not okay for me to live a discontented life. There's a big difference between those two things. And many of us sometimes allow them to overlap one another. We can have a holy discontent. It's okay for us to look out at the world, see injustice and desire to contend for the way of Jesus inside of it. It's okay for us to look at kids who don't have a home and desire to contend, to fight for justice and a home for their lives. It's okay for us to feel a calling to go out and to preach the good news of the gospel for the sake of the kingdom of God. And we have a discontent in our heart to see how things are. But it's not okay for us as human beings, even in our holy discontent, to live discontented lives. God calls us to find contentment in him. Do you know that this is what communion is really all about? Communion together, existing, exchanging life together. This is communion. Now, when I think about this idea of calling and I think about what it means for us to think about the future and what we're supposed to do, the obvious verse that I've received many times is probably the same one that some of you have heard when thinking about this conversation yourself. It is a verse in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse... Whoa, you guys have heard this sermon too. All right. Jeremiah 29, 11. This verse is probably the most oft-quoted verse when we talk about calling. Most often, this is going to come around at some point. You're thinking about what your future is, what is going to unfold, where am I supposed to go, what does God want for me, what's the will of God for my life. At some point, somebody's throwing out Jeremiah 29, 11. That bad boy's coming out at some point. And this is what I want to do tonight, real briefly. I just want to jump into this text because I agree wholeheartedly that this text applies to what it means for us to understand contentment and discover our calling. I agree. But what I think is maybe we've stopped short of understanding God's intention for this verse for humanity. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many people think that sounds good right there? God has a plan for your life. God not only has a plan for your life, but that plan is for you to thrive, to be fully alive for welfare and a hope and a future. This is good news. So we read this verse as an encouragement in the hope to discover the plan for our life. And what we hear in verse 11 is God has a plan. Amen, right? Now, when we hear that, that's good news. But we all know if we're honest, that's good news. But our follow-up question is, what is it, right? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 12, he says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. All right, this is getting good, right? (laughs) Because he says he has a plan for me, and that plan is a good plan. He wants me to thrive, be fully alive, have welfare, a hope, a future. This is good news. Then verse 12 says, you need to pray to me, and when you do that, I'm going to hear you. So we're going to talk together and we will have some uh, interaction. You'll hear from me and I'll hear from you. And that's encouraging because our follow-up question to verse 11 is what's the plan? He says, call out to me, pray to me, and I'll talk to you. And we're saying, all right, this is cool. Well, what does it say in verse 13? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, for some of us, it might feel like a hard left turn right there. (laughs) We were doing good. You said you had a plan for me and you said that I could talk to you. I'm thinking you're gonna deliver this plan and what he says right after this, you will hear from me when I talk to you. This affirmation that if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all, all your heart. Do you know what our desire is by default as human beings? Our desire is to read the first two verses and then get to 13, and then we'll read it like this. (laughs) If you seek the plan, you will find the plan when you seek the plan with all your heart. (laughs) Right? So we're thinking, okay, in the natural progression, I know the plan that I have for you, a plan for you to prosper and a future and a hope. All the words that are there are beautiful Then we see in verse 12, if you talk to me, I'm going to talk to you. Don't worry. We'll talk about this thing. But then he makes this left turn perceptibly to our humanity, which says, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. We're thinking he's going to show us the plan. Guess what? He did. (laughs) The plan is when you seek me and find me, you will seek me with all your heart. All I want for you in your humanity is not to pursue some plan or something to do. All I want you to do is with all of who you are, all of your substance, as it says in Proverbs, I want you to give everything over to finding me. And when you find me, you will have done enough. And when you find me, it will fulfill the very longing that you have to fulfill your plan. (laughs) I am your plan. You know how I know this is true? Let's read the last one, verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You know why I want to read that piece right there? Because he's not talking to us right there. (laughs) You might be saying, "What what are you saying? Do you know contextually right here, this message is being delivered by a prophet from God for the people of God. And he's talking to these people. And in verse 11 through 13, we see something that applies universally. And right at the beginning of 14, he says, if you seek me, you will find me. And then he says, I will be found by you. And guess what? Right after that, I will be found by you. We can just put a blank space right there. And the blank space is whatever it is for you will be for you as a result of your communion with him. For these people right here, The fill in the blank was, if you come and find me with all your heart, I'm going to restore you guys back to where you were removed from. Remember, he's talking to a specific people. You know why this is encouraging? Because there is a fill in the blank for your life as well. And that fill in the blank is not prescriptive. It comes as a result of communion with Jesus. What he's saying is if you come to me, you give everything of who you are to me in our connection together, you will be so fulfilled that you will long for nothing else. In Psalm 37 verse four, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That sounds really good. It also sounds pretty transactional, right? If I desire or if if I delight, then he'll give me desire. But in our humanity, we read that verse as this if-then prospect. If I do this, then I'll do that. What he is saying to us is the delight part is really the most important thing. You know why? Because the definition of this word delight is not just feel good or be happy or be content for a moment. It is to be so filled, so satisfied that you want and long for nothing else. And what he's saying is delight in me, find full contentment in me and everything else will really kind of be irrelevant and it will unfold, but it will come out of your satisfaction in me first, not your work for me, your connection to me. You know, I was thinking about back in the 1500s when Michelangelo was commissioned to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. You guys ever seen the photo of this? Or maybe some of you have been there. I ain't got that much money, so I saw a lot of photos about it, right? And there's this beautiful, unbelievable work of art that's on this ceiling. The Sistine Chapel, it's one of the most important works of art in history, some people say. But you know what's amazing? Imagine if you walked in about six months into the project. You walk in, you look up at the ceiling and you see a bunch of lines, you see a bunch of blotches. Maybe there's a glimpse of some really great ideas, but you have no idea what's gonna unfold because this dude is working something out. He's making this masterwork. He's trying to figure out what this is gonna look like. He's doing his thing. And as he's building and painting and working, Somebody who walks in in the middle is not going to see the fruition of all of the thought and the heart and the life. But if you come back at the end, you're going to see this beautiful picture that only the artist saw in his mind. What if you walked into a dance studio in the midday and it's harsh light and dancers are working through the choreography of this beautiful ballet and it would not look exactly the same as it would in a beautifully lit theater with beautiful regalia and costumes. You might see the work that's going on, but only if you saw the outcome would you know how beautiful all that work was. If you walked into a recording studio and your favorite band was working through songs, it wouldn't sound as wonderful as it would on a stadium stage in front of 70,000 people. But if you hear the end result, you know the master artist is working on their craft, knowing that the outcome is there. God, in so many ways, has a beautiful plan that we cannot see. And our call is to commune with him, to find contentment in him. And in doing so, trusting that the master artist is unfolding something that we can't see the end of. And our contentment doesn't come from getting to the end. Our contentment comes from the trust and the promise that in the middle of the painting, he is fully aware of us. He is communing with us. He is satisfying us. And that satisfaction does not come from what we get to do for him. It's because we get to be with him.